Welcome to the Do Something Beautiful podcast. I am your host, Leah Darrow, and I share with you inspirational people who are truly doing something beautiful to make our world better. We are inspired by Mother Teresa who said, do something beautiful for God. Do it with your life. Do it every day. Do it in your own way, but do it. Welcome back to the Do Something Beautiful podcast, my friends. So I know I always say this. I always I always say like, I'm so excited to talk to you today, but I am. I love you. And I am so happy that you are here and you are listening and you are waiting to be inspired by one of my amazing guests. I love this podcast so much because it's not about me. It's about amazing people who are truly doing something beautiful in the world. And our next guest is phenomenal. We've had him on before. He's that good that you got to bring him back on. Let me just give you a little a little intro to him before before we bring him on and and this will probably as soon as I read this intro you're going to go back and listen to the first podcast we had him on. We'll add that in the show notes too and you'll definitely want to. But here we go. We are speaking today with John O'Leary. John, let me just right off the bat it gets it gets heavy and it gets deep. He was expected to die. How is that for the first line of a bio? My gosh, few people can write that one. Expected to die, now teaching others to truly live. It couldn't be further from the truth, my friends. And I mean live. Not just survive, not just breathe. Live. You know what I mean? That space that you might be in where you feel like you're drowned in and overwhelmed with your life or with pressure. John is one of those voices. He's one of those hands that reaches down. He picks you up. He pats you on the back. And then he walks with you so that you can, you can live the life that you were truly called and made to live. So in 1987, John O'Leary was a curious little nine-year-old boy. He was playing with some fire and gasoline. <laughs> Let's just stop there for a quick second. That's Sounds funny, but it gets pretty serious. But there ended up being a massive explosion with that curious nine little boy. In his home, John was burned on 100% of his body and he was given less than 1% chance to live. As you do know, John lived. Oh, and how he lived. Oh, well, my friends, I'm so happy to have a friend and I'm so happy to know somebody who's actually going to really, truly help and not give you the silly things you've been hearing on social media over and over again because I have a feeling that's probably where most of us have been spending our time all that time that we have, right? And all the voices that we hear on social saying, no, 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 do this and do that. And then here's better ways to be more productive with your time. And this is the best homeschool schedule for your kids. And here you, and you're just like, oh my gosh. And if I have one more person tell me how to make whipped coffee or pretzels, I'm going to about lose it. John's not going to talk about whipped coffee or pretzels. No, John's going to talk about how you can live in awe. And praise be to God, he's written a book about it and it is phenomenal. It's one of those books that's like the book that you have to have on your shelf. There's a lot of books on your shelf that you probably didn't really need or you didn't need to buy. Maybe it's an impulse purchase. This is one, This is not one of those. This is one of those books I keep on my shelf downstairs. I move all of my books to the basement where I have my library, so to speak, because it's, it's just the space that I have available in my home. And they're amazing books. If, I mean, authors that are phenomenal, that I go for research, I go for a little inspiration. But the ones that make sure that I'm on point every day are upstairs. Both of John's books are upstairs. The first book is On Fire, which is a national bestseller. It's the seven choices to ignite a radically inspired life. His next book is called In Awe, 
rediscovering your childlike wonder to unleash inspiration, meaning, and joy. That comes out on May 5th. It'll At, at this point, we're recording this just a couple days before. It is already out. So at this point, the link is in the show notes. Get the book. I'd highly recommend you just to pause this, grab the book, and then come back. It'll just be easier for you. I promise you. I promise you. I have the book in front of me right now. I would not tell you to spend your hard-earned money on something if it wasn't truly going to impact your life in a positive way. A thousand percent, I believe this. This is one of those books that will, if you read it, it will change you. If you read it, it will change you. Again, that book is called In Awe. It is out, it is available. You just got to get it. John's done a million things. Look, he's got a podcast that is like one of the top rated podcasts ever. It, it, it reaches over 50,000 people a year. He's, he's a speaker that every time he hits the stage, people are like, that's the best speaker I've ever heard in my entire life. And it's absolutely true because I've heard him on multiple stages and I'm like, dang it. How can I harness whatever he's doing and work it through my life? And, and he's just a huge inspiration to me. Um, he's my mentor, even though he doesn't know it. And I go, I look at all the things that he always does because it's so inspiring and it helps me live the best life that I can live. I truly, when I hear John, I don't think I need to be like John. I just think, okay, what is John doing? And how can I take that in to be a better Leah? Like that's, that's the mark of an amazing person who inspires you to be a better you and not to be a replica of them. Oh, how many times have you heard that from a speaker? And it just feels like they're wanting you to be more of them. And you're like, what the heck, man? I can't be Bob. I'm Joe, right? So anyways, I love this about John. John, I'm going to stop talking about your amazing bio. Let's get into it. But welcome to the podcast. Leah, earlier this morning, my head fit pretty nicely in my, my room. And right now, I'm going to have a very difficult time <laughs> getting it out of the doorway. So uh, unfortunately, I had to hear that introduction, but it was beautiful. And so are you. And I'm really grateful to be part of the show today. Uh, I'm so happy to have you back again on the Do Something Beautiful podcast. I am honored, honored, honored. This is the one podcast I love hearing from people when I'm out and about, when I used to be out and about, <laughs> who would say to me, Leah, John O'Leary. I go, I know. I know it. It's one of the best ones. It's the best. It's just God has worked so beautifully in your life. You have worked so beautifully with God in your life to create this awesome experience and sharing it with everybody so that we can really be inspired, live in awe. So let's let's first just really quickly, what has your life been since the last time we spoke, which was a couple of years ago now, I believe. So blessed. And I know that's kind of a lame answer in some regards, but blessed doesn't necessarily mean easy or good all the time. It just means that God is working through everything. And so since I last saw you, I've I've lost a couple of friends. I lost my grandmother. My father continues to regress with Parkinson's disease. A pandemic has swept the nations. My top line revenue has disappeared in some regards professionally and I've never had a better relationship with my wife. Mm -hmm. I've had the great honor, as you and I are recording this, of spending 56 consecutive nights at home with my kids, 56 consecutive evenings, tucking my little baby Grace into bed. She's never had that happen because I'm on the road all the time. 56 breakfasts with the kids, 56 peanut butter and jellies over lunch, 56 days consecutive of ping pong, baby. So (laughs) we're living a different life today than we would have imagined living way back in February. But I... I'm not sure it's a worse life. I think it's a far better life than than I had envisioned for myself. So we live a blessed life. And that's how it's been for the last couple of years. Jeez, we could probably end the podcast right there with all the things you just let us think about. I mean, like, have you looked at your 56 days? 
and that through that lens. You know, I think I imagine, and I'll let you obviously answer the question, but that's that's the lens that you wrote this new book on. I mean, like what led you to write? I mean, you have, okay. On fire is amazing. I mean, it, like you, you read that and you're like, what else are you going to say, John? I mean, what else can you really add to this? It's that good. It is. It is honestly that good. And I, I remember scratching my head being like, John, what are you going to do? And then I read the book. I'm like, oh, so what led you to write this? And can you explain how you put it together in this book? So let me back up by saying, like you, I had one child and I like that kid a lot. His name is Jack. He's a pretty good little guy. And then at about age one, we found out that his mother was expecting another little child. And I have a dear friend, a wonderful man named Rusty Keeley, just a guy I love. He's on my board of advisors. He's my friend. He runs a great business. But more than that, he's a great guy, great husband, great father, great servant. So I said, Rusty, I'm, I'm really worried, man. I, like I'm having another child, but I don't think I'll love him as much as I love the first. And his response was, uh, just wait, just wait. And he, <laughs> as soon as Patrick O'Leary showed up in my life and I got to hold that little boy and look into those brown eyes, I was in love. And same with Henry, who came along next, and then Grace, who came right behind that. So I've fallen in love now four times. I share that because after I wrote On Fire, I really didn't think I had another book in me. Like I, 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 had, I had something I really loved and something I was really proud of sharing and something I believed would encourage people mightily in their faith journey, in their business journey, in their marriages, in their singleness, through addictions, and into a better life. So I love that book. And then I would go on the road and see these, see these adults, Leah, who were just bored by life. They were maybe executives. They were maybe high-level salespeople. They were maybe doing work or between jobs, whatever it was, but they were kind of bored by it all. The mundane, difficult aspects of each day. And I would leave these conference centers, walk into school buildings and see these children who were absolutely in awe of life. They skipped into the classroom. When I would ask questions, their little hands would pop up immediately. When I asked them what they wanted to do when they got older, hands up. They want to be teachers and astronauts and presidents and leaders and moms. And they had this profoundly beautiful vision of their life going forward. But it wasn't like, and maybe one day we'll get there. They were living it then. They were present and celebrating the moment and, and witnessing this again and again and again, the discrepancy between how adults show up so frequently and how kids come into the room automatically. They're not taught. They just show up this way. I wondered what they had, why we lost it and how to return to it. So that's the premise of an odd. It's subtitle is rediscover your childlike wonder to unleash inspiration, meaning and joy. So I want us to be not childish. I think there's plenty of childish characters on the scene right now, politically and professionally. Maybe you're next to one right now listening to the podcast. Plenty of childish people around us. Right. People who are childlike. And when Jesus says, let the children come to me, he wasn't saying, if you're over the age of 11, stay the heck away. <laughs> he was talking about the heart, man. Right. Let, let those of us who have a childlike heart come, come. And so, man, I just want us to be, again, lifted up and encouraged with the freedom of being a child. I love that. I mean, so much of what this book offers us is a chance to do that long pause hmm. on our life, right? And I imagine we're, in some ways we're all the same with this. You're so busy. How are you? I'm just busy. How's it been? I'm so busy. I'm so busy. 
I am so frustrated, even with my own self, of constantly answering that question with busy because it means nothing. It just feels like it means nothing. Like it's not the right word I need to do. Like I wish I could say I've been productive, but we're so used to saying busy with our life. And I love that this book, it forces you to take a long, deep pause and think and analyze what's going on to make the next best step. Mm. I've read this one chapter in here, many, but I this one I keep coming back to a little bit. And I want to ask you some questions about it. Is that okay? Let me find out what chapter it is first. Uh, it might be off limits. So why don't you tell me where okay, we sure, are? Okay, sure. Sure. 16. Come on, girl. What's, what's the title? Hang it on the fridge. <laughs> I love that one. When I write, just a little context, I always try to write where it starts off good and you're like, man, that's good. But it's going to slip downhill. It's going to get worse. And then you turn the page, you're like, Ooh, that's better. And then by the end, you're like, it just keeps getting better, better, better. And so I like build it toward that, that climax. And I think the deeper you go into this book, the more emotional, the more heart you see. And so, yeah, it's highly researched and practical and pragmatic and all that stuff. But as we go deeper, so 16 is a little bit more than halfway through. This is, I, Leah, the, the way I see it is this is when it starts really going to the heart. And so yeah. the Hanging on the Fridge chapter is, I think, the beginning of, man, all the heart that's going to follow behind this. Yeah. First off, you had me with the quote from the lines of the song, A Spoonful of Sugar (laughs) from Mary Poppins, which is one of my favorite movies of all time for so many different reasons. But about this chapter in particular, though, it really hit me a few lines, a lot of lines, I'll be honest with you. I've marked up this chapter probably the most so far. But number one, in talking about how we can rediscover our childlike wonder and have this inspiration in our life to move forward in whatever work we do. Because I think what's so great about this chapter and what gets at the title of the book is that so many of these types of books that I think where your book probably lies into categorically, they feel like they're only for the entrepreneur. They feel like they're only for the person in business. So a lot of people are left out. Like, well, I just... I'm just, they feel like I'm just a peon for this company or I'm, I'm just a mom. Mm-hmm. And so they don't see what you write in this chapter in particular, the way that you see it, which you say that all work is sacred. You write here, all work is sacred. I love this. And the fact that like you put your name on it, you know, and I just, I know as a mom, especially at this point, you know, at, at, and during the pandemic, all of my work is now gone, public speaker. So like done. The whole year is it's it's a big fat zero. Okay, but I'm also a mom, uh, and so I have my five kids, and I do consider absolutely the greatest work that I ever ever have done and will do and continue to do is being a mother, and it's allowed obviously to not being on the road to double down even even more so in that role. And so when you say all work is sacred, I like want to scream it from the mountaintops, like to all of my ladies, all of my mamas, like for me that that means so much because this beautiful work of raising children and the sacredness of like the work you put into these people versus, and I mean, I, I'm an entrepreneur, work I put into an actual product or a project mm-hmm. is something so different. But I love that the way that you've written this chapter in particular, 
and the whole book is that your life and how you work through the work that God's given you, wherever you are, that is sacred. And so for the parents who are child rearing, for, for, the, for the person who's working for a company, for you, the entrepreneur, for you, the one that's trying to make it with a brand new idea, but it all works. What brought you to this place to figure that out? I mean, like that all work is sacred, Um, putting your name on it, all of those things. Like, tell me like what got you to the point of like, this has to be in the book and how did I write this down? So, I mean, it's a beautiful question. There's a lot there. The idea of all work being sacred, it's kind of tethered to two ideas. When, When Jesus says, take your talents and multiply it, it wasn't if you have five, turn it into 10, but if you have one, settle for one. It was whatever you have, use it fully, use it fully because your work your life, your effort has value. It impacts not only your life selfishly, which is great. Good. Let's double from one to two. Good for you. But it impacts every single life that you're going to touch along the way forward. So it's really important to recognize that there's some historical context here and some scriptural context here. As far as your work is sacred also, Martin Luther King Jr. wrote obviously extensively about race relations. Obviously. He wrote extensively about the dignity of all life. And that's beautiful. But near the end of his life, he spent the majority of his effort writing about the sacredness of work, of work. You know, the the beautiful quote about the street sweeper and Michelangelo. In other words, whatever you do, it matters. And as you know, Leah, from our previous experiences talking with one another, I'm in this world through grace in part, through my mom and dad and their love and their leadership after I got burned and through Jack Buck and all these big names that we could talk about. Pope John Paul II wrote a letter that he was praying for a little boy and his family. We had a lot of support coming in back in the day, but I'm here because a guy named Lavelle, who was my janitor, he was just a janitor. I hate that expression, by the way. And I don't, I don't use the hate word hate frequently. I hate when people say I'm just, I'm just a barista. I'm just a mom. I'm just a janitor because you're cheapening the value, the sacredness of your work. He was he quotes just a janitor. And because he did his job as if it mattered, he swept out those germs. He bleached out what would have killed me. He kept a little boy with no chance of living. He kept him alive. And while he did his work, he let me listen to his headset. So not only did he do his work, he brought me joy because he <laughs> didn't just, just see his work as just, but as divinely important, as inspired, as, as relevant. You also asked about your name on it. Where would you come up with that? And that's twofold. I'll be very brief on this answer. One is because when my kids came home from school, when they were little littles, they would come home, they would show me what they did that day, and then they would hang it on the fridge every single day. Yeah. Then they would come home, show me the stick figures on top of the house. And like the dad is like seven foot two, the mom (laughs) is one foot one, dad's missing an arm somehow. But the thing goes up on the fridge. And not only does the work on the fridge, there's like this odd blurb on the bottom right. That's their signature. You know, so you'd see like the J backwards and the A was missing and the C and the backward K and that's Jack. And his picture of mom and dad is up now on the fridge. Can you put your name on it? Can you put your name on it? And then tethering this to work, I had a friend and still have a friend named Brian Buffini who's got a wonderful business. He's got a wonderful heart, but he credits his growth in life to working for his grandfather who was a painter in Ireland. So Brian grew up without much, but he had a phenomenal grandfather and father. And after Brian would spend a day working, his grandfather would come alongside of him. He would put his arm around his grandson, look at the work and say, okay, Brian, my lad, can you put your name on it? Because for him, his name was Buffini. And the name of the company, now five generations deep, was Buffini and Company. Can you put our family name on this work? 
on the way you swept up after painting, on the way you, you trimmed around the corners. Can you put your name on it? Because it means a lot more than just your ego, my lad. It means five generations of our work. Can you put your name on it? And so I think every single day, gosh, what, what if as a mother, you could put your name on that fridge, that meal, sweeping that kitchen floor, whatever it is you're doing, as you're pulling weeds in the front, can you put your name on it? It matters. And it matters if you're sweeping floors and it matters if you're painting rooms and it matters if you're giving keynote addresses in front of 30,000. It matters how you choose to show up in the moment because it's going to influence that moment and then every single moment thereafter. So this isn't a story necessarily about making money. It's a story about living well. Uh, I have tears in my eyes. I imagine you're probably, some of you are like me and you're like, yeah, me too. Just going to wipe it away. You're going to keep going. (laughs) You're going to keep, you're going to keep driving. You're going to keep walking. You're going to keep running around your house with your kids. However you're listening to this. This is what I, I love about, I love this about you, John. And I love this about how you write is that you are so good at appropriately affirming the good in others. You don't puff people up to points where it would be unhelpful or unhealthy, but you see the good in humanity. You see the good in people. And that's what you want to make sure we remember about ourselves. That that work is sacred. Well, the, the thing that you're doing, that is good. And you, you also have a duty to do it well. I love that. And I, and you're right. You have it in here too, just so you know, you're not going to miss out. John adds in the quote from Martin Luther King about that part of the, the, and I, I just, if it's okay, I just, I have to read right. this, this little Give piece. Give me your best MLK impersonation. I, oh. I want you to ring. I have two little brothers now. They're big brothers, big sisters. These beautiful young men, one of them is eight. The other one is now 24. So Travion has graduated out of the program and is graduating into life. And I had him one time share the platform with me. And I'd never seen this little young man speak. He stood up there and I saw the reincarnation of MLK in front of me, man, this little articulate fired up boy. He's shared differently than Martin would have, but his heart was so pure. And I think that is what's so attractive. So Leah, as you get ready to share this quote that I love, let me just encourage you, man, radiate it. Like, like Travion would have, like Martin Luther King Jr. would have. And like, I think our listeners need to be reminded that the streets need to be swept well and that your work indeed does matter. But you, you ought to be bold enough to put your name on it at the end of each day. Amen. Amen. Well, I will do my best in giving you this paragraph from me, from my heart. But this, this is, it's, it's so beautifully placed in this chapter. And to be honest with you, I have never read this quote in its entirety. I have heard the analogy, like you know, like we were talking about, like like sweep the streets and 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 to do that well. And I've heard that, but I've never read this piece. And maybe you're like me, and that's the case. And if that is so, you're in for a treat. So this is. This is a- Can I add just one more piece, Martin? Yeah. He first shared this in Philadelphia, and I don't know the exact year, but not long before he, he was murdered. And he shared it at a junior high in front of kids, African-American children, difficult upbringing in the midst of a race rebellion against injustice. And so as you hear the words Leah's about to share, know this, that the children in the room in junior high were applauding as Martin went forward with this. They were applauding the idea that being a janitor has freaking value, value, man, that your work has value. 
And so if it can turn on a group of middle school kids in Philadelphia to realize, wow, you're telling me if I get a job as a custodial member, I'm meaningful in life. These kids are on their feet applauding Martin Luther King Jr. So I, I just hope you you hear it with the way they received it, because that's what we all must do in our lives. Whether you're in charge of a massive organization or you are on the ground floor supporting it, it matters. So those mm-hmm. kids back in Philadelphia, they knew it. And so maybe we should, too. They did. They did. Here we go. All right, my friends, get ready. This is Martin Luther King. We must set out to discover what we are called to do and what we are made for. And then after we discover it, we should set out to do it with all the strength and all of the power that we have in our system. When you discover your life's work, set out to do it well, that living. The dead or the unborn couldn't do it better. And no matter what it is, I love this. And no matter what it is, never consider it insignificant because if it is for the upbuilding of humanity, It has cosmic significance. And so if it falls your lot to be a street sweeper, sweep streets like Raphael painted pictures, sweep streets like Michelangelo carved marble, sweep streets like Beethoven composed music, sweep streets like Shakespeare wrote poetry, sweep streets so well that all the hosts of heaven and earth will have to pause and say, here lived a great street sweeper who swept his job well. There's so much about, obviously, Martin Luther King you can love. And I think how you placed that quote about the sacredness of work speaks to every person clearly, regardless of where you are, whatever title or no title is after your name, that we have such a duty and a cosmic significance, as Martin Luther King says, to do whatever is our lot, like whatever it is, whatever gifts God gave you, whatever they may be, to just do that thing well, just and and lean into it and stop you. So you, you go on later in in this chapter of not being trying to like release the fear to do that type of work, to lean into it. And I I, I think I think John, you wrote, we must return to the heartbeat. Of our work. <laughs> you know, it's Dang, awesome. John. The, the majority of the book has nothing really to do with work in so many regards. It's about life. <clears throat> and yet we spend so much time working. And so, Leah, I've had, gosh, a hundred conversations around this book already. And I don't think anybody's brought up chapter 16. No one's brought up the MLK quote. No one's even brought up work or hanging it on the fridge. And yet, Gosh, we spend an awful lot of time sweeping around the fridge. We spend an awful lot of time on the streets sweeping. Yeah. So I'm glad you're bringing this up. It's 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 in some regards um, an afterthought within the book. This idea of oh, by the way, let's do work well too. But I think it's really cool that you're like John. I want to really bring this forward because, geez, I think a lot of people are missing the mark on how important and relevant and sacred their days are, their work is, their tasks, the little things and the big, how they can impact not only only their lives, but to such a degree that all the hosts in heaven and earth would pause and say, my gosh, there lived an awesome street sweeper. 
calling on all of my lady friends right here. If you are looking for community in a place that is private and off social media, if you're wanting to go deeper in your faith, but you have no idea where to begin and a master's program is not in the cards for you at this moment, you need to check out the Lux Network. You can go to theluxuniversity.com to find out more, but we have created the very first Catholic app for Catholic women that does just that. It brings you community of women in a private setting. It gives you all of the courses from Lux University, courses on the faith, courses on theology taught by experts in the field. We also bring to you live prayer, live weekly prayer at the Rosary and Divine Mercy Chaplet. And we have our chaplain, Father Michael O'Loughlin, who guides us every single week in a gospel reflection. There is so much of that and more inside the new Lux Network. Go ahead, come and join us at theluxuniversity.com. Find out what it's all about. You can choose between one of two plans. And yes, (laughs) I did name them after food. You can choose the chips and salsa plan, which is the prayer in the community, or you can choose the whole enchilada. That's actually the name of it. And that is the prayer. That is the devotionals. That is the community. And that is Lux University, which is really what most women truly do come for is that whole enchilada plan. But come on in. If you are looking for a place to connect with other Catholic women and and really connect with them, if you want a place where you can pray live with other Catholic women in a private setting off of social media, if you want to deepen your faith, learn more about it, have the answers uh, to the questions that you've been asking for a long time, then you you need to check out Lux University inside that Lux app too. This is here for you. We are here for you. We truly believe that you are a light and yet you are a leader and we are happy to help you get there. Come join us inside Lux. I I just, I think it matters so much. I think too, how we define work really probably needs to be addressed at some point by, you know, whatever. But like you said, we all do. And our world and the culture that we live in is so individualistic and result-based and product-based and bottom lines and money and companies and, and putting your name on it, even if you, maybe you shouldn't. But we get so wrapped up into this area and we see work only as this thing of, I have to be productive so everybody knows who I am versus I should be productive because it is who God made me to be with these certain specific gifts and talents. I'm a unique and unrepeatable being created from God and I have value and I have something to contribute. Mm. And so there's a huge difference. And I think for so many too, and I, I, you know, just again, speaking from the mom chair here, so many of us women feel left out of the conversation because the work we do in the home and with our children is seen as it's just this back in the corner. We don't want to really address it. And you're just doing, I guess what somebody I guess has to do. So, and these are people. And I just, I love the idea of you talking about work. And for me as, as a mother, as a woman being able to see the sacredness of my work is seeing the sacredness of my children in front of me, their whole beings. And the fact that putting this energy into them and, 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 and doing the best I can so they can go out into the world and make that influence because they have been built up in such a way that they can see the value and the sacredness of their own being yeah. and their work. I just, I, I, the connection to me is just right here to humanity and who we are and ourselves. So thanks for writing this chapter. It's so important. Thank you, Leah. Thank you for living this chapter. 
Well, yeah, as, as best as I am, I am, I'm doing, I'm doing my best and I am every day getting back to the heartbeat of my work. I love how you wrote that. We must return. So why do we need to return? It sounds obvious now, but let's just make it super clear. John, why do we need to return to the heartbeat of our work? You got to also understand that the book's premise is that the things we're striving for, success, money, fame, likes on Facebook, praise from adults around us, a better looking grass than our neighbors, the goofiness, man. I mean, we are really driven by some really odd things, but the things we strive for, at one point we already obtained. It was called during childhood. That, like that, that's when we kind of had this closest to being figured out, when we were most purely love, when we were most purely, for most of us, thank God, loved. Not all of us, but for most of us, we were purely loved as children. When we had no ego, when we connected with who we are, with the friends around us, when we were so much less judgmental, when status mattered not at all. And so when I say rediscover, I think a first grader knows how to work hard. And they also know how to create beautiful things. They also know how to put their name on it, put it on the fridge. And then they know how to do something else. Go outside and play. Look up at the stars. Be in awe. Be fully satisfied. Come back inside now, exhausted from a full day of working and playing, and then rest well. So little ones are an awesome teacher to us if we choose to pay attention to them. They have a lesson to guide us forward with on how to live, how to work, how to play, how to rest well, how to repeat the cycle, and then move forward into life more successfully in in our adult jargon. So it's about rediscovering the heartbeat because we've already had it. We already had this. And then we were taught away from it. And then you also talk about belonging, which God love you for approaching that topic because that is so needed. I mean, the sense of not belonging. I don't know if it's ever been more profound than now. I would agree completely. And and I wrote this book a year and a half ago. That's when we put the final period on it. And at that point, Leah... Social distancing, I'd never heard those two words combined as one. I'd never heard of a pandemic. I think in 1918, there might have been one, but I knew knew almost nothing about it. Right. We're looking forward to an awesome economy in 2020. They thought the best yet. Everything was going perfect. Markets high, unemployment low. And even then, 94 plus percent of news stories is one way to look at life. 94 percent of news stories were negative. And Cigna ran a national ran a national study. Fifty six percent of people felt as if they were already isolated. So before social distancing, when you can hop in your car, jump on a bus, walk across to your neighbors, give them a hug, fifty four percent of us felt, no, I can't, no, I can't. More than sixty five percent of millennials, this is a shocking statistic, feel as if they have no one that they can actually lay truth in front of. Knowing that they can actually say, I got to tell you what's happening with my mom and dad. What's happening? I got, I got this diagnosis. Knowing that they can really be honest and real with. So tons of friends, man. Look at the social channels. We got friends all over the place. But no real colleagues, no real life partners, no one really to share the journey with. And so I wrote the idea of belonging, knowing that, gosh, we need to break these walls down. And then a pandemic shows up. And now it's even, it's worse than ever. So you're, you're, the way you're setting up the question is exactly right. But I think the way forward, again, can be shown to us by our kids. Kids are so open to their own reflection. They don't even judge it. I mean, I don't know at what age your kids start fixing their hair, but mine are like nine before they take the first glance into the mirror, let alone fix their hair to go after the day. They don't have any sense of ego at all. They fully belong to God, to one another, to the day, to themselves. 
that's awesome. You've got an incredible journey about learning to finally fully belong to yourself, no longer needing the praise of others. You learn that. Kids have that. They just have it. So we've got to relearn, again, how to fully love ourselves, which is the first step. The second, equally important, it is to learn how to love our brothers and sisters, regardless of the differences, regardless of how they vote. I know that's a great way to hate people these days. Uh Uh-uh. You're called to love them, man, regardless of how they choose to worship or not, regardless of how many kids they have. Lee and I were talking about this on the front side. (laughs) Like, we have to love people. And in doing that well, they will come even closer to us. I find most of us, Leah, today ask questions, not to seek information, but to prove people wrong. We either do it to prove how wrong you are in your lifestyle or prove how right I am in mine. But children have a way of just raw curiosity, which draws them forward in life and draws them closer to the one in front of them. So there's just so many benefits. And I think as you listeners are listening to the conversation right now between Leah and John, I'm not begging you to become as annoying as a six-year-old naturally is. I'm not telling you to become immature. I'm telling you to become mature. I I think they might, in some regards, have the most mature sense of self, of togetherness, of interconnectivity. They can do nothing by themselves, nothing. But together, my gosh, together we can change the world, mom. So uh, I I think they uh, are laying out a very cool pathway forward in our journeys. When you're talking about the child, the child is being childlike because they are a child. They're acting that way. And we need to not be childish, but childlike. The term that hit me as you're talking about taking childlike qualities into our life is really humility. Mm. The recognition that you don't know everything, that you have so much more to learn, the curiosity to strive for something better and just more open to receive it's always us looking in the mirror and getting the, getting the makeup on just right and the hair brushed over just right. And am I presenting myself appropriately at the school drop-off line and all this stuff. That For we're... that sense of belonging, like you write about. Correct. But kids show up there with peanut butter on their cheeks. They forgot to wipe up there. <laughs> hair all over the place. Teeth that have not been brushed in six weeks, man. And they're hugging on their friends and they're living life together. I love it. It's the freedom that I think... What I continued, the, the word that continued to come to me as I was reading through your book is, I know it's in the title, it will bring you inspiration, meaning, and joy. But for me, it's like freedom. Yeah. The freedom so, to be me. You know how we broke the book up. We broke it into the five senses that kids have. And so when, when, as you age, your ability to see, hear, touch, smell, all this stuff, like it begins to fade. So those are some of the senses. There are others, though. And kids show us what they are, but they also show us a, a way that we can return to them. So you don't have to lose the five senses kids have. And those senses are gifts like wonder. It's a wonder. They're curious about everything. And they, they live fully in the moment. The, the sense of expectancy, which is this raw optimism that life is going to be better. Watch. And then they go in the direction. And believe it or not, it comes to pass. Right. Knock and the door shall be opened. Right? I mean... This is, it's a sense of expectancy. The third is immersion. It's being fully, in, not multitasking, fully engaged in whatever activity you're doing, including sometimes resting, including playing, talking, working, whatever it is, be fully engaged in that. The fourth is belonging, which you chatted about for a little while. And the fifth, and it's both a summation of the previous four and also a standalone, it's the sense of freedom, the sense of freedom. And so we we try to send out a pathway of of both how 
to live freely, but also how, how to remain there. Because yeah. at the end of the day, if you only get inspired for the pep rally during a podcast or while you're in the middle of a book, I think it's, it's short-lived and it may not even be worth your while. But if you're transformed afterward, not cha- transformed, yeah. then the podcast, then the service, th- then the experience, then the book was truly worth your while. Yeah. It's that metanoia effect, right? Yeah, well the said. changing of heart and mind and everything. And you can't go back. At some point, you just can't go back to what it was before. And I love that this book is being released during this time of pandemic because it's needed. And it's the reality is that we're not going to be able to go back to whatever it was before this pandemic. That light, like you've been changed. You've experienced things. You might be recognizing things within yourself that you did not know that you would not have known unless you were forced to sit and stare at yourself for a few weeks. And I think that this is just a beautiful place to be in this time of doubling down on that self-reflection that we need, that deep pause, that long pause that you talk about as well, that we need to think and to analyze and to spend some time not being productive and busy with other things, but with yourself. Like you deserve some time to think about you, where you came from, what you've been through, and then where do you really want to drive yourself in going now? And I, I, I just, yeah... None of that comes clear until you rest. We we write in that book that there's that section that you you were talking about on work. Part of that section is a section on rest, yeah, which is the exact opposite of work. But we we in the book refer to it as Sabbath, which is a term that's kind of old fashioned, and I don't even know if I'm comfortable saying those words. And wasn't like a a 1980s rock band? No, I'm not talking about that. (laughs) We're talking about full rest, the kind of rest that God took after creating the world, looking back and saying, wow, this is very, very good. And now you and I, Leah, and the majority of the world, we run so fast and we use Sundays not to rest, please. We use Sundays to get to ball practices, get ahead in the shopping, get ahead in the tasks, clean out the garage, work like a dog so that on Monday morning we can be ready for work. That, that's not the idea of Sabbath. What we've been able to do during this season for many of us is to really, really slow down, to have no activities, and then to be shocked in the fact that, you know what, we don't really miss it. We kind of like the idea of dinners at home. We kind of like the idea of tucking our own kids in. We kind of like the idea of not letting some other parent take our kids to practice and back, and we don't see them anymore. So the, the world will eventually return to normal. My hope is this, that we don't return to the same normal we left with in February. Amen. We can come back into it to some degree, but I think if we go right back from zero to 60 again and say, thank you, Lord, that that is over, we miss the lessons that are being taught to us right now. And and I think they're vital. I think they're valuable. And I think if our heart is open to them, they're incredibly life-giving. Yeah. John, I could, could not agree more. I could not agree more. I love this. There's so much more we could obviously talk about, but we're going to have to save it for another time. John, before we wrap up, we always like to ask our guests to give us a challenge. I really hope you give the challenge I want you to give our listeners. So let's just, I'm going to give it to you. Then I'll be, and then I will be fully honest and I'll tell you if that was it or not. All right. You, you know go what? ahead. How about this? You tell me what you think it is. And then I'll tell you what the challenge is. I, I may just say yes, or uh, I may give them two challenges today. So Leah, okay. You with the first challenge. And then sure. I think, I think... <laughs> If I was John, I would give you, I think John's challenge for you is to take, take this challenge of in awe, take the 21 day challenge 
take 21 days to do this challenge, to let it change your life, to take the deep pause. I, I want you to take this challenge because here's the thing, my friends, with all of my heart, you deserve it. <laughs> you deserve this time to sit and to be in awe of yourself and all of the good work of who you are, of who you were created to be. And let me tell you something, when God took that day of rest and he looked back on all that he made, he put his name on it. And that name is on you. That is why I think you should take 21 days of this challenge. That's the challenge I want you to take. And I mean that from the bottom of my heart. It's just, it's so profound. It's so good. And it is something that you will not, you will walk away and you won't be the same and you'll be so happy that it's different. That is so awesome. So I love it. And if you want to take the 21 day challenge for the listeners who I've not yet rocked to sleep, you may visit readinawe.com. Learn more about the 21 day challenge that Leah is talking about at readinawe.com. It's at the very top of the page. I love the challenge. It is a way to slow down. It is a way to provide hope. It is a way to recognize you're not alone and that your life is worthwhile and that the best is yet to come. So go to readinawe.com. Like you, Leah, I love that. And I really appreciate you saying that. And I also love the fact that you said God put his name on it. Indeed. And he also has put his name on each of us. The, the likelihood of us being here, we did some research in the book on this. Less than one in 400 trillion is the biological chance of you being in the house, people. Less than one in 400 trillion. And all that means is the likelihood of all that your mother has biologically and all that your father has biologically. And boom, right on time, that very moment, that perfect moment in time, breath is given into our lungs. I mean, it's, it's, it's unbelievable that life came out of that one in 400 trillion and the same odds play in for your parents' likelihood and their parents and back for the generations. And that's before we talk about the earth spinning at the perfect distance from the sun. And like, come on, man, your life is a miracle. So act like it, act like it. That's one piece that I would like to add. And the other is this, when I write books, almost always the, the publishing company sends me back the first cover. And there's a picture of John O'Leary on the front of it. And usually O'Leary's got a, a sport coat on and kind of a smug face on his uh, on. And <laughs> I'm looking at you like, guys, look at me. I am freaking awesome. Learn more about me. <laughs> and then I always write back. I'm like, did you do to read the book at all before you came up with the cover? Frequently, the answer was no. And then so, so then they redo it. And on fire, what they did is they put mirrored red and orange and yellow letters that look like flames burning. But you can see yourself in it. And the idea was within the flames, within the heroes, within that story, it's you we're talking about. And so this next book, it's called In Awe. On the cover, it's a brilliant blue sky. And there are clouds that are just peacefully floating by, white letters that are shiny now, the words rediscover your childlike wonder in different colors just to be more childlike. And then there's this little string from the bottom of the page all the way up to the tippity top with a brilliant red kite on the top, a kite. And the idea is that the, that's you holding the string. That's you in that beautiful day. That's you below that beautiful sky. And that's you able to decide the kind of life you want to live going forward. Not John O'Leary, not Leah, not the lady to your left or the guy to your right, or your kid or your mother or someone else's expectation of you. That is you. And that, that is worthy of grasping onto and moving boldly into the days in front of us. But don't wait for it. Don't wait for the pandemic to end. Don't wait for life to return to normal. Don't wait for him to say, you know, I love you. Don't wait for it. Start now. Start today. And uh, this is the day the Lord has made. So I, I love the 21 day challenge. I love the fact of reminding you that you are sacred, quite literally, you, you are beautiful. 
and that your best days are in front of you. Amen. There's nothing else to say but that. John, thank you so much for being on the podcast. We really, really appreciate it. Leah, I love you. As you know, I love your husband. As you know, I tell your babies, I said hello and, and thank you for letting me come on again. Amen. All right. And thank you listeners of the Do Something Beautiful podcast. God love you. I am so thankful to have you in my life. And I pray that this time together has blessed you. And remember, whatever you do today, do something beautiful for God. God love you. God bless. And I'll talk to you later. This show is a production of the Spoke Street Media Podcast Network. For more great podcasts, visit Spokestreet.com.